Thanks be to God that as we are prone to wander, we gather as community and are reminded of who we are and what our calling is. So let us listen carefully as Jesus guides us in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're still on your way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you pay the last penny. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As you're seated, our children are dismissed for their time of worship. And typically, right here is where I say, let's bow together and pray as the children make a quiet exit outside. But today I'm not going to lead us in prayer because you're likely not going to hear the prayer anyway because you're angry at Jesus for telling you not to be angry. And that just doesn't feel like a good place to go. So I'm going to start right in and speak to some of the objections that we all have when we hear Jesus say, but I say to you, if you're angry with your brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. Really? I mean, we all know that there are times when it's right to get angry. Times when injustice inflames our anger and it feels to us like it matches the anger of God. There are those times. There are those times when we're called to name it and speak it and speak it in such a way that it has force and it has power. I do not think Jesus was whistling, put on a happy face while he went all WFF and uh, turned the tables over in the the temple. He was angry. And it's sometimes... You've got to have that moment to name the injustice, to go for a, a, a method that will arouse people's interest and curiosity about why you're so angry. There are those times. And then, of course, we're feeling that these days in spades, especially here at Highland. Many of us feel angry about the effects of recent decisions upon immigrants, upon people of color, upon women and their reproductive rights, upon uh, the capacity of people to speak without being silenced. There's a lot of anger. We've got anger issues. In fact, sometimes I think anger is our issue. We're so angry. I don't visit Facebook often, but I'm told families are defriending each other, People are polarizing. Lots of hurtful, hateful language out there. 
And I'm not immune to it. This week when Governor Bevin called our Jefferson County Public Schools an unmitigated disaster, my anger rose. And I got to my computer and I opened up a can of righteous indignation and I... (laughs) And it was a scorched earth kind of op-ed that I wrote... And I sent it to my angry friends, and they all said, yes, yes. I know it's true that we cannot avoid getting angry. The passage Lauren read for us from 1 Corinthians. I mean, we, we see the early church. These people who were right there with Paul, right there. And yet they can't get along. They're mad at each other. They're quarreling, they're feuding, they're, they're taking sides. It's as if it's part of the human condition. And so I do not think that Jesus was saying, deny your anger, repress your anger, hide your anger, because we all know how that ends up. We all know that anger repressed is anger that comes out sideways and usually directed in the wrong places. Anger comes when we... Take things personally. When, to use the language of the Apostle Paul, when we're in our flesh, in our human side, in our, in our, in our, in our lesser selves, we take things per- personally. Many of us are reading a book called The Four Agreements. One of them is, don't take things personally. Your, your spouse suggests to you that you Put the coffee pot on the upper level of the dishwasher, not the lower level. And your spouse told you, but you forgot. And you put it on the lower level again. And you hear again, uh, this needs to go on the upper level. And the response is, well, is that a rule, like a a federal rule? Is Is that in the bylaws somewhere? I talked Terry down from that kind of anger. Um... But it happens. It just comes on people. You could be riding down the street listening to Christian music and someone cuts you off in traffic. You tell me about these things. I don't know them personally, but you tell me that this happens. And you feel defensive. You, you, something comes. Something happens. You feel threatened maybe or you feel devalued or you take it personally. And you react with anger. And in our personal relationships, if we let that anger do more than just alert us to what is a momentary sense of injustice, if we let that anger fester, if in fact we kind of nurse that anger, feed it, harbor it, keep it within our souls, perhaps we even begin to think of the other person as not a very good person, we begin to assign malintent to what they did or what they said. They become our enemy. We start referring to them in ways that are disrespectful. We start referring to them in insulting ways. Perhaps we even call them a fool. And the result is we disconnect from them. We dehumanize. We, in fact, demonize another person. And destroy the relationship. 
This is the pattern, I think, that Jesus is trying to reveal to us in all the examples that he gives, not just about being angry, but also about uh, the case of adultery, the case of divorce, the case of, of, of making oaths. In each one of them, there is this sense of disconnecting, of dehumanizing another person so that we can move from dehumanizing to demonizing. You're the enemy. And then there's an utter disconnect that destroys and locks us in a prison that is at least partially of our own making. That's where I feel like we are today in our country. Sometimes in our relationships and sometimes in our home, we're angry, we're disconnected, we dehumanize, we demonize, we destroy. It's as if we're in some big national traffic jam. We're stuck. And no one's willing to move. We sing that song, we shall not be moved like a tree planted by the water. We shall not be moved because we think we're in the right. And sometimes we are. But sometimes even when we are, we're stuck in the anger part. The part that we've taken personally where we want to win. We want our ideas and our ideals to win, not just because they're God's ideals, but because we want to win. What can save us? What can set us free? What can liberate us and heal us? Jesus comes speaking out of a different frame out of a whole different orientation, a whole different reality. It's a different metric. It's a different way of keeping score. That's the only way that his statement, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're liable to the judgment, makes any sense. In our fleshly world, we're always going to be angry about one thing or another. But what, with, what about when we're wired differently? What about when we leave this place, having sung the songs of faith, having declared, again, we're people of the way and the truth and the life. What about us? What do we do? Jesus said of us, you're the people who get it. You're blessed. You're blessed because you're poor in spirit. You you have empathy. You mourn. You're sad about the conditions that the world is in today. And you're humble. You're meek. You, You see other people's points of view. And in that, you hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. You're pure in heart. That's who we are at our best. And that's our grounding and our orientation. And Jesus said, when you're in that zone, you are vital to the health of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're not just a nice guy. You and I, and together, we are the people who bear this truth into the world that there's something more than just anger that can get us out of the stuck place we find ourselves individually, as a church, as citizens of Louisville, as citizens of the United States of America. 
Jesus said you embody this sacred abundance. You, you embody this harmony. You embody this equality. And thus you're called, he said, to a deeper righteousness than just religion. He said unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless it gets beyond formality of just showing up for church, unless you begin to embody this uh, you're not part of the kingdom. To be part of the kingdom is to be so caught by this way of love that we are made different. We are wired different. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, week after week, we are formed and we are reformed in this way. You see, the problem is anger is really good at helping us identify injustice. We feel it in our bones. When something unjust is said or done in our presence, it just wells up within us. We, and, and that's a good thing. It's a signal for us. It announces the grievance. It articulates the hurt. But anger can never bring about healing or justice or reconciling all things into one, all things into one, including, including our enemies. We can't all be one if we've drawn a, drawn a circle that keeps some people out. Richard Rohr says, transcend and include. Grow, but bring things along with you. Don't leave them behind as if they're lesser than you. Transcend and include. So he instructs, if you're right in the middle of church and you're about to put your offering in the offering plate and you realize that you've done something that's hurt a brother or sister, stop what you're doing and go take care of that matter. He obviously wasn't a pastor trying to raise an offering, but, <laughs> but he's saying it's that urgent. Stop what you're doing. And go. He throws in this little phrase, reconcile with your brother or sister, as if that's just, you know, a list on a grocery list, part of a grocery list. If you will, please go to the store and get some milk and eggs and resolve the national conflict and then meet me back at the house. It's it's far more complicated than that. But to be reconciled requires that we go. And rehumanize those that we have dehumanized. See the sacred in those that we've demonized. It's hard. And sometimes you have to look incredibly deep. It is the long, slow work of love. The Greek word is katalegate, which I only know because that was the title of the journal that a man named Will Campbell used to write for on a regular basis. Back in the 1960s, 50-some years ago, when the church was working on, of all things, racial relations. We've been at this a long, long time. If you're giving your offering and you realize you've hurt your brother or sister Lay down your gift and go and be 
reconciled. This is hard work. This is why we're church together. If this was just a matter of going out and being nice people, we wouldn't gather every Sunday. We'd let you sit at home and just goof around. But we gather together, I think at our best, to be reformed as the people of God. I know these times are maddening. I know that there are times when we get so angry. I, I've just, I haven't watched the news since the 1st of November. I cannot. But we have to rehumanize our culture. We have to love our enemy. We have to listen. We have to sit and stay connected and look at issues from all points of view until we can tease out what is, what's the greatest good that we all aspire to? What's the greatest fear that we're all trying to avoid? We work at it. We discern. We track where we diverge. And we look at all those fears and values and assumptions and resentments and old tapes. And we trust that in that process, God shows up. And something new happens. That's what Paul was inviting the church at Corinth to experience. Don't be divided, Paul, Apollos, Cephas. It doesn't matter. What matters is this work of love. So yes, there are times when we should turn over tables and shout and hold the line, but we also have this other task that is uniquely ours as the people of God. And that is to bear love into the world. To bear love into the conversation to keep people, even those on the other side of issues, as sisters and brothers. It's hard. This is hard, hard work. This is, this is not the milk that Paul was talking about. This is the solid food of faith. How do we love those who aren't lovable for us? How do we forgive How do we seek reconciliation? How do we seek what Jesus called redemption? Not just for us, but for all the world. The world will never be saved by anger. The world will only be saved by love. Walter Brueggemann says the crisis in the church today has nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. The crisis in the church today is about giving up on the faith and the disciplines that we accepted at our baptism. And we settled for this common, generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence, and is void of love. God's love. God's love that comes to us and operates through us. It's the most important work in the world, Jesus said. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's who we are. It's what we do. And so every morning, as I get ready to leave the home and go out into the world, I have a ritual as I get dressed. I load my pockets with the things I'm going to need for the day. My cell phone, my wallet, 
my keys, some coins, three coins in case I have an emergency and have to get a Diet Coke from the Coke machine downstairs. (laughs) Some mints, a pen. But before I get dressed, I have another ritual. I sit and I pray. And I try to load my spirit with the resources I'm going to need for that day. To be the man that I am called to be. I'm called to bear love in a hate-filled world. I'm called to be salt of the earth. I'm called to be light of the world. I'm called to not be ugly and anxious and afraid. I'm called not to be heroic. Don't be heroic. Be who you are. Light and salt never try to be heroic. They just are who they are. They just do what they do. In fact, my anger often ruins the salt. It's what causes salt to lose its savor. And my anger can ruin my light. It can be like a bushel that gets placed over the top of it so that it doesn't shine. Robert Browning said, We're placed in this world a little space that we might bear the beams of love. Let's pray together. Let love be the mortar that holds us together. Let love be the windows through which we see. Let love be the doors wide open with welcome. Build love in this church, Lord. And build love in me. Because of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.